All right. Good morning. It is very good to be back with you guys. Thank you so much for your prayers while we were gone. And we're excited about today. Now, today is not a series. You know, we kind of get in this series thing. We do series all the time. But this is kind of a bridge. We're not doing a study on Galatians. But we want to launch in today with a story about freedom and about our personal freedom in Christ very appropriately because of this weekend and also because of what happened last weekend. So it's just a really good time to do this. But here's what I want to tell you before we launch into that is starting next week, we're going to be doing a series entitled The Ten. The Ten. And, of course, it's on the Ten Commandments. You probably can hear that. We have a couple banners out around the church advertising this. And I hope you'll make a a point starting next week. And I think this dude runs like in the middle of September. It's going to be a long series. But here's what we want to do. We want to take the Ten Commandments, the the Word of God, and I want to bring that out of of 3,000 years ago and into our current lives. I don't want it to be a history lesson. I don't want it to be just simply a lesson on Ten Commandments. I want to say, I'm asking God, God, how can we bring this truth into our lives today? How can it impact our lives today? I'm very excited about it, and I hope you'll just make a commitment, unless you're on vacation, out of town for some other reason, that you'll be here on Sunday mornings as we look at the Ten Commandments. And I'll just tell you, I'm kind of excited because midway through, we're going to take a couple of field trips. That's one reason it takes a little bit longer. We're going to take a couple of field trips and look at the application of some of those key central um, commands as they apply to our lives. Very, very excited about that. Well, last Friday morning, we left for vacation and it was our 39th wedding anniversary. And we knew, yeah, that's pretty cool, you've got to admit. I have to tell you, though, that I'm really wrestling with this old thing because I am now the person they clap for when you say you've been married a long time. I'm now that person. I, I find myself going to social gatherings consistently, and I am the oldest person there. I mean, you know, it really just wrecks your brain up. But yeah, 39 years, and we just, Judy and I are just going, wow, we can't believe that. We've already told Rebecca, we feel like a trip is in line for our 40th. And so I think we're going to Muddy. I'm not sure, uh, but she's starting fundraising right now. So I think that's where we're going next year for our 40th anniversary. We're going to make a trip to Muddy. But anyway, on that day, um, of course, it was a a week and two days ago is when the Supreme Court announced their decision about same-sex marriage. And I'm certain that you guys talked about it. I, I chatted with, via text with uh, Dave, and I think with Brent, both of them, I think. And I would say, well, I'm sure what you're going to say, um, but probably you need to talk a little bit about this. And I want you to hear from me today introducing this message. Now, also, y'all, y'all know by now because it's, it's past tense, there were two weeks that we were gone pretty close together. And the first week we were gone to the Southern Baptist Convention of which this was a very, very big topic. And I picked up a couple of key thoughts that I wanted to share with you this morning. And this is kind of like the introduction to the message. Now, well, it's really not kind of. It is the introduction to the message. So anyway, so when I heard this news, you know, I, it was kind of expected. I wasn't being a pessimist, but I was expecting, yeah, I knew that's what was going to happen. And uh, we watched the news, and it was the topic of discussion on vacation. And I've already forgotten what day it was. But... I was laying either, I think it was at night, actually. Um, I was waiting to go to sleep, trying to turn my brain off, and that hadn't happened yet. And I was thinking about this decision, how it impacts our country. I was thinking a little bit about the message and how those two would be wed together, uh, no pun intended. And, and it occurred to me, I mean, it was like, have you ever had one of those moments you just feel like God spoke to your heart? And, and, I, I'm not, and I, there's nothing new under the sun, 
And uh, no, all truth has been revealed, but it's like God showed me something, and I really wanted to be an encouragement to you. And it's not a play on words, and it really is truth that you as God's people and myself as God's child need to get a hold of. You know, I'm not sure when government got their tentacles in the things that belong to God. A long time ago, our founding fathers understood the importance that we did not have a state religion. But somehow, government put its fingers, its tentacles, in some of the things of God. And one of those things is this thing called marriage. Um, Somewhere along the way, there was a tax on marriage that they called a marriage license, and those were issued by the state and by the different individual states. And, And government got their fingers in that, that way. And, of course, some of it was because of wills and probates and legal status and all of that. But for whatever reason, the government got their fingers in a thing of God that's called marriage. And so, as a result of that, as we watch culture changing, all of a sudden we find ourselves with a government entity called the Supreme Court redefining marriage. And what had stood, has stood for millennia, that is, marriage between a man and a woman, um, all of a sudden they have redefined. And what I want to tell you today, and, and the big truth that God just really put in my heart, and I'm serious, now listen to me, look at me. You need to burn this in your heart. Is you see, the government did, can and did, change the legal, 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 definition of marriage. But what they cannot change is the biblical definition of marriage. Now, do you get that? Do you understand what I just said? That that means this, that no Supreme Court, no president, no Congress can change what God has said about marriage. They, they do what? Listen, listen, listen. The people cannot change the definition of what God has said about biblical marriage. Some of our, well, I would like to call them brothers and sisters, sometimes perhaps not, of our very liberal thinking who have embraced openly a homosexual clergy and same-sex marriage, those kind of things. They think they can redefine biblical marriage. But biblical marriage belongs to God and nothing, 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 nothing is going to change that. They, just like the government can't issue an edict tomorrow and say that salvation is by works, they cannot touch the biblical definition of marriage. And here's the cool part. That's what we care about. I really don't care what the government says. I've long decided that I'm not listening to the government. I'm listening to God. And my God... And my God says that marriage is between a man and a woman and will always be that way. Don't lose sight of that. Now, there's a couple things, and this is leading into where we're going today. There's a couple things that you need to know. And this is one of the things we heard from the Southern Baptist Convention, is that there is a sexual revolution really different even from the 60s and 70s. Those of you who lived through that, the free sex and all of that, it's even different than that. But there's a sexual revolution that is feeding on people who are looking for something. 
the, 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 in my opinion, I need to probably say that, in my opinion, but I think uh, probably opinion of a lot of experts, is that a lot of the, 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 the uh, drive of the gay and lesbian community and, and the push we're seeing in that, people are looking for something that they cannot find. And they hope to find it, they hope to find it in a same-sex relationship. And the culmination of that same-sex relationship, of course, would be marriage. Well, once again, call it what you want. But when two men marry each other or two women, it, they can call it marriage, but they can never call it biblical marriage. The definition can never, never change. But these folks are looking for something. <laughs> the song is probably looking for love in all the wrong places. <laughs> Popped into my brain. Now, here's the deal. And this is what I heard from the Southern Baptist Convention. Some people a lot smarter than me. And this is where it really impacts us. Because they're looking for happiness in the wrong place, eventually they're going to come to some kind of conclusion that it didn't work. Eventually, eventually they're going to come to a point where they realize that even though they were given the legal status of marriage, and even though they crossed cultural borders and did this or did that, they're not happy. And when they finally get unhappy enough, they are going to start looking for the true source of happiness. And the term that we picked up from the Southern Baptist Convention was when these refugees from the sexual revolution start looking for the real deal, we've got to be prepared to share it with them. We will forfeit that if we compromise. If a church chooses to somehow cave to social pressure or social uh, government pressure and all of a sudden agree, well, okay, we'll allow this in our churches, when the refugees come looking, they will have forfeited their right to share the truth because they would have been preaching a lie. It's so important that the Dorisville Baptist Church, and I'll just go a little bit bigger, the Illinois Baptist State Convention, I'll go a little bit bigger and say the Southern Baptist Convention, I'll go a little bit bigger, the true church of Jesus Christ. It's important that we do not compromise so that when, they, when these refugees of the sexual revolution come, they will have a place to come and go, okay, you didn't cave. And I look at your life and I see something and I want what you've got. That's what we've got to do. Now, that's true. Listen, I know some of you... Now, us older people... Gosh, boy, do I hate saying that. Us older, older folks, you know, we kind of get... And I know a lot of the younger people go, but this is America. It's about freedom. Folks, let me tell you something. Young folks, listen to me. The Word of God is still the Word of God. And you know this. You heard this, and you heard this, and you... But get into this thing that's been around for 4,000 years and what it says about marriage. Let that worm its way into your heart. And when it warms us when you're you're going to understand it's not about us being right and them being wrong. It's about what God's Word says, and we've got to stand with God's Word. That's just the bottom line. So now, one more thing before we really jump in, and that is this. Not only will we, not only will we forfeit our right to share the truth if we compromise, and I mentioned this about three weeks ago, we really have to make sure that we have taken a stand for biblical marriage. Dwayne, what do you mean by that? I obviously mean 
marriage between a man and a woman for a lifetime. Because as much as the partners in marriage, biblical marriage, a man and a woman is biblical, so is marriage for a lifetime. We have got to, as a church, take the stand that we are married for life. And once again, I got thinking about that. I said, you know, isn't it crazy that when a couple decides to end a marriage, generally speaking, they don't go to a preacher. They go to the law. They go to the government to dissolve their marriage. They don't go to God, and they don't go to a preacher. You want to know why? Because divorce is not of God, it's of the law. Come on now. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, God hates divorce. Now, once again, let's do what we did three weeks ago. Dwayne, does that mean, okay, I, I've divorced and I've remarried. Am I scarred for life? No, you're a product of God's grace. Put that under the blood where it belongs. But here's what you do. Listen to me. If you are single today, if you're a student and you are yet to be married, if you have been married and you're single, do this. Enter that marital relationship whenever it happens with the commitment for a lifetime. If you're, if you're heading into your second marriage, you make sure it's a commitment for a life. Make sure you understand. Brent, you know what? Dave, you understand what we talk about so much. Kids today enter marriage with the idea, if it doesn't work, we'll just get a divorce. That simply is not inside of God's Word. Just like two men, women getting married, just like two men getting married, this idea concept of a throwaway marriage is simply outside the Word of God. So as a church, we need to make the commitment. So if you're married today, make it for a lifetime. If you're heading into a relationship, if you're a single student, understand the boy, the girl that you find to call your husband or your wife, make sure they are on the same page with you that we get married for a lifetime. If you're single today as an adult, make sure you understand that you're going to be married for a lifetime. Because, because if we're going to stand for biblical marriage, we can't stand for part of it. And we have allowed an epidemic of divorce and infidelity and weakness to come into and undermine marriage. And that's part of the problem. As marriage became so fluid, it went fluid totally, and they chose to change the legal dynamics of marriage. So it's so important. I am so excited. We're going to talk about all about God's grace today. And like I say, if you've gone through the pain and the heartache of divorce, you know, be sure and put that under the blood. If you're in a relationship day, make it for a lifetime. As you choose your mate, choose one who understands and believes like you do about marriage and make it for a lifetime. If you're divorced and you feel like God's leading you to a relationship, make sure you understand it is for a lifetime. Because if it's going to turn around, it's going to turn around, one, when those in the gay and lesbian lifestyle say, wait a minute, this isn't working, and they start looking for truth, that they come to the source of truth, which is Jesus Christ. And also, when they look at our church and churches like our church, and they see the joy, and it's not always joy, but you understand, the, the joy and happiness that God, biblical marriage can bring, they say, that's what I've been looking for. That's what I want. Does that make sense? So do not, dear brothers and sisters, do not be discouraged. God is still on the throne. And the Supreme Court and the government of this land cannot change what God's Word says about, about biblical marriage. It ain't gonna happen. 10,000 years, if for some reason this world is still going, 10,000 years from today, what God's Word says about biblical marriage will still be true. I don't care if men are marrying dogs by then. I'm telling you, 
God's word will be true. Amen? All right. Now, where are we going with this? Where are we going with this? Because if, if half of what I said is true, that there will be, and again, this comes from some, some guys a lot smarter than me at the Sunday Baptist Convention, that, that as we progress in this world and this culture, and as these people are looking for happiness and they are not finding it, we've got to be ready to share truth. And we've got to be ready to receive them. And that's what we find in Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 1. And that's where we want to spend our time this morning. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 1. And again, what a beautiful verse for this weekend when we celebrate the freedoms that we enjoy in America. Here's what it says. Christ has liberated us to be free. Isn't that wonderful? Christ has liberated us to be free. Now, now my question is this. First off, that is attractive. Now, what is not attractive is sometimes what we call religion, sometimes what we, we, we relabel as Christianity. Sometimes that is not very attractive. But when you take these six or seven words, Christ has liberated us to be free, that is very attractive. You see, Christ is the rescuer. Christ is the hero. It is he who died that we could be liberated. Liberated from what? We are liberated, one, and again, this is something you've heard before, but you need to hear again. The first thing that that Christ did for us, he liberated us from the penalty of sin. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That, that left unforgiven, every one of us would be separated from God for all eternity. But Jesus freed us from the penalty of sin. How? By dying. By dying on a cross just like this. It was not murder. It was not mayhem. It was not martyrism. It was a plan from God that the Son of God became flesh, was hung on a cross like this. And a couple of things happened. He endured one of the most brutal physical deaths that there ever could be. That's one thing that happened. But two, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that he who knew no sin became sin for us. So someone had to die for sin and Jesus became our sin. Say our sin. Our sin. That means your sin. That means the person sitting next to you's sin. That means the folks outside of, out there in the community this morning who didn't wake up and go to church, their sin. It means the folks living in Africa, their sin. That he became sin that we might become, through faith, the righteousness of God. And then, all this is so hard to imagine, but all of God's wrath that would have been reserved for us in a place called hell, okay? All God's wrath, all the fury of hell was, was thrown upon the Lord Jesus Christ that day. All that so we could have forgiveness. That's how it happened. He liberated us from the penalty of sin. But he didn't stop there. He also liberated us from the power of sin. He left us here and he gave us his sweet Holy Spirit living within us that gave us the power to overcome sin. All of a sudden, the choice is there to be angry or not to be angry. And he gives us the power not to be angry. To forgive or not forgive. And he gives us the power to forgive. To lust or not to lust. He gives us the power not to lust. He gives us this power. So he takes care of the penalty, but he gives us the power. And one day, someone say one day. One day, we're going to be free from the presence of sin. I walked into this church building, and you've got to be careful. 
My heart's heavy today for another reason. And Dave would sing that song. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can heal. And one day, somebody say one day. One day. No sickness. No sorrow, no pain. No death. None of that. It'll be gone. And it all happened because of this. And that's the most powerful message there is. That God's amazing grace will reach down and save us from our sin. Empower us to live in this life. And deliver us one day to a place called heaven. And that's the message we've got to be ready to share when that refugee from the world, and it does not have to be the gay and lesbian lifestyle. It's, it's, it's a sinful lifestyle. But when those people finally wake up one day and say, wait a minute, and I believe it's God calling, but they say, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is not it. There's got to be something more. And the Holy Spirit speaks to their heart and God the Father draws them and they stumble into a church somewhere or they start a conversation with someone and they hear the gospel, the truth about Jesus Christ for the first time. We've got to be ready to share that gospel, that truth, that, that, that earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal, that the, my chains are gone because of God's amazing grace, that, that Christ didn't save us just to be in bondage. He saved us that we might be free. Christ has liberated us that we might be free. And by the way, you know, Heard a preacher say, you know, if what you experience in your Christian walk is more like bondage than freedom, something's wrong. Christ died to set us free, not to put us in bondage. How's your your Christ experience feel? Does it feel free? Free. Now, the problem was, and I wanted to show the video today because of that, at the church of Galatia, Paul started the church and started it based on grace. But here's what happened. And here is what we need to make sure does not happen in the church of God today, including the Dorsville Church. We've got to be careful that what happened in Galatia doesn't happen here. What happened was some Judaizers, and these were Jews who were saved. But they they, they hung on to the... Tenets of Judaism. In other words, they believed that the first step in becoming a Christian, the first step in becoming a Christ follower, was to become a Jew. That that you had to be circumcised, if you're a male, you had to be circumcised before you could become a Christ follower. And this had wormed its way into the church at Galatia. And because of that, Paul was torqued off. I mean, if you read the book of Galatians, it is his most curt. It's its most formal, hard letter because Paul believed in God's amazing grace and he understood so clearly by the Holy Spirit that when we add anything to grace, it stops being grace. And we've got to be really careful in the church today because of the, the, the decades that have preceded where we are right now We had a tendency to, yes, we're saved by grace, but somehow we need to perform our way into God's favor to continue in God's favor. 
And we did that by how often we went to church, the clothes that we wear to church, um, what we did and what we don't do. And somehow that earned us God's favor. No, 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 no. You cannot earn God's favor. The Judaizers were were teaching that you had to, to earn God's favor. You had to be in keeping the law. And folks, when you, mix, when you mix together grace and law, you get an evil potion. You get an evil potion. And we have got to be careful because in Western culture, especially in America, it's so easy to do. So Paul warns them and says, stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let me read it again. Stand firm. Be careful. Stand on the rock and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. See, I got this just opening my Bible in First Peter chapter 5 and verse number 8. Be sober and be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And you know that Satan doesn't care how he eats you as long as he gets to eat you. And if he can convince you that grace isn't enough, he'll devour you. He'll devour you. He, he can devour the message of the gospel if he can convince churches to tell people that, yeah, you're saved by grace, but then you've got to be good enough to stay saved. Hogwash. Another word, another Greek word, baloney. Baloney. God's grace needs no help. It stands by itself. And like I said, when you add works to grace, you get hogwash. And you've got to be careful because what happens is, even though we say with our mouth, I believe in grace, I believe in grace, we start living a performance-based gospel. That is, I've got to do or else God's up in heaven waiting to zap me with an arrow. You know, again, what happened in our lives uh, this weekend, you know, it was a very tragic thing in our lives. And, you know, I said, Judy, I can tell you one thing. There was a time in my life if something like this had happened, I'd said, God, what did I do to cause this? And I look at my wife now, I say, I know one thing, that this did not happen because God's angry at me. And my father is in control. If I don't like what's happening right now, my father is in control. So, so, so Paul says, stand firm. Don't be enslaved in that yoke of a bondage called obedience factor, called, called performance love, called performance favoritism. Don't get into that. Here's what he says. Take note, he says, verse number three, two. I, Paul, tell you that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. He says if you bring anything... Now, Paul wasn't against circumcision. He was against circumcision for earning God's favor. So so Paul is saying if you choose to get circumcised to the Galatians, if you choose to get circumcised for the purpose of earning God's favor, then Christ does not benefit you at all. You negate the power of the cross. You negate the power of grace. When you mix in that stuff, it negates the power of God and His grace in your life. Andy Stanley said something that, and I want to give him credit because I want y'all to think I'm plagiarizing whatever it is when you steal people's stuff. Of course, preachers do it all the time. We just don't tell you. <laughs> But I really liked it. You know, he said, imagine this. Imagine one of you gave, and Andy was telling this from his perspective. He said, imagine if, if you walked up to me after church today and say, hey, pastor, um, we would like to bless you, and so we want to give you a $100 gift card to your favorite restaurant. Okay, and I won't mention a restaurant, but, but $100 gift card, okay? And I'd say, oh, no, 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 you, you really can't do that. No, I, I can't let you do that. He, I said, but I'll tell you what. 
how about, how about if, I, if I give you $50 and you give me the $100 card? And the person says, no, 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 no. I said, well, how about if I give you 25 And the person finally says, okay, we'll give you the $100 card and you give me the $25. I, I pay you $25. He said, at that point, it no longer is a gift card. It's a discount card. And when we take grace, when we add anything to grace, we discount the power of God's amazing grace. So he says, be careful. Listen, if you get circumcised, if you add that in there, okay, you're negating the power of Christ and his death on the cross. He goes on and says this, verse 3. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised that he is obligated to keep the whole law. What? What? Yeah, Paul says, when you say, okay, I'm going to be circumcised to, aim, to earn God's favor, you're living as if you say, well, you got to get the whole law now. And there's like 638 of them. That's, listen, that's why Christ came. We couldn't keep the law. The law was our taskmaster that pointed out how desperately we needed God's grace. So we must be careful to experience God's grace. Now, let me tell you something. When those refugees show up, I don't care if they're coming from the gay and lesbian lifestyle. I don't care if they're showing up from down at the bars on Sloan Street. I don't care. Someone beat up in the community. I don't care. But they walk into this building and they hear, oh, well, we're glad you're here, but here's what you've got to do. Keep this rule, this rule, this rule, this rule. That is not good news. The good news is that Christ died for your sin. He shed his precious blood. And if you will turn from your sin and choose to follow him, then you can receive God's amazing forgiveness. That is good news here, now, and later. That's good news. And why wait for the gay and lesbian community to wake up and say, Oh, wait a minute. That should be the way we live right now. The message that they hear from our church should be God's amazing grace. His sacrifice. His atonement. For my forgiveness and my freedom. He goes on and says this. You who are trying to be justified by law are alienated from Christ. If you're, if you're sitting there and you're, and you're being circumcised, you are alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. Now again, this has nothing to do with losing your salvation. That is not the topic. He is saying you are turning your back on God's grace. And you've got to understand this. As a Christian in the 21st century, you've got to understand, when you say, I am saved by grace, however, to make God happy, I've got to do this and this and this and this. To earn God's favor, I've got to do this and this and this. Paul's saying, you've turned your back on God's grace. Don't turn your back on God's grace. Enjoy, enjoy the wonder and splendor of God's grace. Each one of us who know Jesus today are storytellers. And our stories are all different. Mine was the religious hypocrite for 21 years telling people how much I love Jesus and I was lost as a goose. Yours might be an alcohol story. Yours might be a drug alcohol. Yours might be an adulterous story. But all of us have stories about what God saved us from. Let's be prepared to tell that story of God's amazing grace. You are trophies of what God has done by His grace. Tell that story. You're going to run to someone who's going to say, Yeah, but God could never love me because da 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 da. You can say, Wait a minute. 
I was da, 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 da. And God forgave me. This is the good news, folks. This is why. When, when we have, Brent, when we have 1,600 people come through this building on August the 9th, when we have probably 700 children that we'll give shoes to and school supplies to, the example of our hearts and the message of our lips and the service of our hands are going to shout the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you in the same way that He loves you. That's the message. That's the message. That's the message. So, so Paul says, you are trying to be just... You, you, you've fallen from grace. And then here's the counterbalance. For through the Spirit, not, not by us, not by us, through the Spirit, by faith in Christ, not ourselves, we eagerly, and David, here's the verse you used earlier, be still. We eagerly wait, not doing, but trusting. We eagerly wait for the hope of the righteousness. They're divided about really what that means, but it can mean both these for sure. One is this process called sanctification, that I was saved from the penalty of sin. I, I have the, the power over sin right now. That, that I allow God to work in my life, bringing about His righteousness. It's not me going, be righteous, be righteous, be righteous, be righteous. I tried that, it doesn't work. A lot of guilt in that kind of lifestyle. I better, or else God won't. God, extend your grace. And He grows His righteousness through me. And like I said, one day, the ultimate fulfillment of righteousness in a place called heaven. But we eagerly await. We wait as God works in our lives. And then, for in Christ Jesus... In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. Hey, look. Look at me. If you are a Christ follower, let me explain that one more time. If there came a time in your life when you felt, and I'm going to use that old-fashioned word conviction, but when God just got a hold of your heart and you understood that you were a sinner before a holy God, and you chose to turn away from that sin and to follow Christ. If you are a Christ follower, if that's occurred in your life, you look at me. Everything's okay with you and God. That was big. Everything's okay with you and God. And you know what? Tomorrow, everything will be okay between you and God. And hey, guess what? A month from now, if you're a Christ follower, if you've turned from your sin and you're following Christ, you've chosen to follow Christ, everything will be fine with you and God. And 10,000 years from today, guess what? Everything will be okay between you and God. And you want to know why? Because you are saved by grace and not your works. Because your performance doesn't play in it at all. That's why. That's why. So Paul says, listen, circumcised or uncircumcised, listen, it accomplishes nothing. You kind of go, what matters then, Dwayne? This was so big. We heard this in the brand new series. It's so big. 
This has to be the Holman Christian Standard Version. What matters is faith working through love. Paul says, listen, in the NIV, I think it's the NIV translation, it says the only thing that matters is faith working through love. Let me tell you what's important. And I want to tell you this. I'm, I'm going to leave one verse out today because in two weeks, you're going to hear this same type message again as far as, 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 far as the Ten Commandments applies. It's huge. But the bottom line is this. What we do to get prepared when the refugees of sin come is we're prepared to love them. David, did you say it this morning? You're not going to win them by yelling at them. You're not going to win them by screaming at them. I've seen the signs that that stupid Baptist church holds up. I won't even say the words. You'll never win them that way. Jesus didn't win them that way. He took the woman taken in adultery and said, Neither do I condemn thee. Now go and sin no more. You'll win them by loving them. You know Say, Dwayne, what if they think we approve their sin? We're not approving their sin. We're doing what Jesus would do, and Jesus would love them. How in the world are we going to have them come into the gospel of Jesus Christ if they're our adversaries? No, we don't approve of their lifestyle. We refuse to compromise. But when someone from the sinful world walks in these doors, they've got to sense love here. They've got to sense love here. When those, when those 1,600 people, some of them got more tattoos than skin cells. Some of them are going to be a little bit inebriated. Some of them are not going to have baths in weeks. Some of them are going to say, I want that color of shoe, not that color of shoe. We're going to have to fight the resistance to... And say, we love you because... Jesus loves you. Come on now. That's it. That's it. The one thing that matters is love. Now now listen, we could go all over the world with this, but listen, real quickly. If I speak human and angelic languages, but do not have love, I'm a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. No. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not conceited, does not act improperly, is not selfish, is not provoked, does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, endures all things, hopes all things. Love never ends. So leave encouraged today. Leave encouraged knowing that God is still on his throne. And no nine justices or president of either party or either house can change what God says. None. Leave encouraged with that. It's reality and it's true. Leave with the challenge that we have got to keep the gospel pure. Because 
David, if I remember right, doesn't the gospel mean good news? If you take and add to the gospel, it might well be news, but it won't be good news. We've got to commit to make sure that we understand by God's grace we have His favor. We don't have to earn His favor. We are experiencing God's favor and His grace. And when someone walks in that door, we don't need to give them a bunch of rules to follow. We need to tell them, let me tell you what happened on a cross. And then let me tell you how that cross impacted me. And when they come, and when they, and they will, they will. And when they come, they find love. You got three minutes? Someone's bringing me lunch today. I don't have to worry about going to the restaurant. Her name is, I'm going to try to get this right. Her name is Rosaline Butterfield. Rosaline was a tenured English professor at Syracuse University. At age 28, she declared herself a lesbian and entered the lesbian lifestyle in a very serious relationship. She hated you. She hated everything you stood for. In fact, she wrote several books about feminism, about the lesbian movement, the gay lesbian movement. And then she began studying on how to disprove Christianity. Doing so, she made a very bad mistake. She read the Word of God. And it began working on her, and so she decided that she needed to go ahead and maybe go to a church and engage these people and see what happened inside the church because she obviously did not go. She said for several weeks she just sat in the parking lot watching the people go in. She couldn't bring herself to come into the church. And then one day she went. I guess word got around and one of the members of the church looked at the pastor and said, you need to shut that woman up. And the pastor said, Maybe my wife and I need to have her over for supper. So, I, Judy, you mentioned they were neighbors. I don't know if they were or not. But anyway, the pastor invited her over to have supper. And she said later on, she said, two important things happened with that evening. He didn't share the gospel with me, and he didn't invite me to church. And I learned to start trusting him. She said in the gay and lesbian community, community is so important. He said because, because of the situation it is, the, 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 uh, the culture the way it is, that they have to go someplace to go. They need to find that acceptance. It's all about acceptance. And so they would open people's homes up and they would gather weekly and perhaps nightly and, and other gay and lesbians' homes because community was so important. And she found herself started going to this pastor's house. Two years. Two years. She finally looked the pastor in the eye and said, I want this Jesus. And she was saved. 
not very long after, she obviously came out of the gay and lesbian lifestyle very obviously, obviously. And today, that feminist, that tenured liberal professor of Syracuse University is now a pastor's wife and an advocate for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know why that happened? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got to hear her speak. And you know how that happened? Because the pastor was wise enough to love. He said, she said, we butted heads politically on sexual issues. We butted heads. But he loved me unconditionally. When they walked through these doors and they got more tats than skin cells, or they're obviously in not the lifestyle we'd approve of, will we have the wisdom to love like Jesus? Would you bow your heads right there? If I were to ask you today how many of you would want so badly to see our culture turned around, it's going to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only hope for America, the only hope for a change in culture is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are the carriers, we are the ambassadors of that message. That's why we must so do diligence to make sure that we keep that gospel pure. We've got to make sure that, that when people come in, they want to bring in something besides grace. We've got to be careful about that. We've got to be careful for our own mentality that would cause us sometimes to think that God, we have God's disapproval and not His approval. When we think that we have to earn it to keep it. We've got to become advocates of grace. Father, I love you today so much. Father, the challenge given us is huge. Father, first, for my church family, including myself, Father, may we stand for biblical marriage. May we stand for biblical marriage today. I'm grateful that they can never steal it from us. Never. I'm grateful for that. I pray, Father, that we'll be an advocate, an example a demonstration of biblical marriage. Father, let the ones who are looking and struggling look at us and see truth. God, I thank you for your amazing grace. Christ, thank you. Thank you that you liberated us to make us free. That yours is not a gospel of bondage, but freedom. We are motivated and compelled by your love to live for you. And God, I pray that we'll be guardians of the gospel. That we'll be guardians of the gospel of truth. And when our wounded friends, when our wounded friends encounter us on the street, encounter us on the job, or encounter us here, that they will hear of your love and your forgiveness through your Son, Jesus Christ. May we be so careful never to add anything to your glorious work, Christ. May we never add anything to what you have done. 
Help us to be warriors. Help us to fight for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And lastly, God, I want to thank you for these dear people. Father, I know it's by your amazing grace that you've assembled us here today and you've made Dorisville the kind of church that it is that we will reach out to the unlovable. Thank you, God, for that. As we prepare for our back to school and other events coming up, as we go on ourselves to worship every week, may we be a fortress of grace. Now, Father, if there's someone here who's never experienced that, help them to come today. Father, if there's someone who's struggling with an issue in their life, help them to come today. Father, if some of us are struggling with performance-based gospel, help us to come today and encounter you and who you are. You're great, Jesus, and we love you today. And I pray in your precious name.